Thank you, Connor, for your testimony. That was great, wasn't it? Wow. For someone your age to speak so confidently, even though you're, you may be shaking your boots, but it was very, very good indeed. I couldn't help but feel he's going to be doing a lot more public speaking in the days ahead. Right? <laughs> so get ready for it. Oh, well, let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. That's where we're up to in the study in John. And the passage I've been allotted is just a short one, verse 20 of John 12 through to 26. So we'll read these verses. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be uh, also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's a good good thing, isn't it? To have the focus on the Lord Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be every day. Um, but Jesus responded when he heard the news of, of these Greeks wanting to see him. Uh, verse 23, The hour is coming for the Son of Man to be glorified. Seems a strange answer. Um, we want to see Jesus and then he says that. Um, the word glorified means to render or esteem glorious. Uh, it means to honour, it means to magnify. And Jesus was going to be magnified greatly, but before he was to experience that uh, exaltation, he was going to have to go down uh, as he went to the cross. And then in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Shirley and I used to live in a wheat-growing area of Australia and um, one of our farmer friends uh, was given some grains of wheat that came out of Egypt that were very, very old, some, I think a couple of thousand years old. Um, and he just arranged a small plot and he planted those seeds and up, up came the, the new growth and then he harvested that small area and then he sowed into a bigger area but he said the, the yield was not high, so he didn't carry on that experiment. But here were grains of wheat that had been dormant, you might say, for at least 2,000 years, wherever they came from. I think he had a, a relative who was an archaeologist and so on. Um, but those grains of wheat were able to do nothing until they were planted in the soil. And with the moisture, the heat, then up came uh, the fruit of that death. So life comes out of death and Jesus was not only speaking of his own life, he was going to die so that we could live, but he's speaking about our lives as well. Verse 25, he who loses his life, um, he who loves his life loses it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. I wonder if you ever wondered about that word hate. The word hate's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Jesus told us to hate 
we need to hate our lives. What does that mean? Well, thank God for strong concordance. <laughs> and uh, that word not only means hate, uh, to detest, but by extension it speaks to love less. To love less. Now Jesus told us that we were to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. So obviously there's not a place for us to, to hate ourselves in a wrong way, but there's certainly a place to love less our lives in regard to Jesus. He needs to be first. Uh, different opportunities may open before us. Uh, we are to love less those opportunities if God's not in it, if he's not leading us. To love less. Well, Shirley and I have been married now. How many years, Shirley? 53. It'll be 54 this month. 54 this month. Yeah, interesting. I came to know the Lord on September the 18th. Uh, last century, and it was uh, we were married three years to the day, September the 18th, three years after my giving my life to Jesus. Well, we were part of a, of a team, an evangelistic team. We went down to the South Island of New Zealand from the city of Wellington, and uh, this was the second time I had been in that team, and I had met Shirley on that first visit and other other places. And uh, the team came back to Wellington and my best friend and I, we were both at Teachers College at the time. No, we were out of te- we were teaching. And um, before we went back to where we came from, 100 miles or so to the north, we had just two or three days and Shirley set a trap. I mean, Shirley, um, um, <coughs> Shirley arranged for some of the team to come to her place for a meal and it was a great evening. Oh, I could say so much here. Anyway... I became aware that night that Shirley liked me. Well, I never thought of myself being linked to her in a romantic way, but um, that was great, you know. And so when she liked me, wow. So I went home to where we were staying with one of the other team members and uh, my best friend, Selwyn, and I, we were sleeping on, on the floor in this friend's lounge. I couldn't sleep. It was midnight, looking up at the ceiling, and I said, uh, Selwyn, and I paused. I wanted to talk about Shirley. But before I could talk about Shirley, Selwyn said to me, Graham, he began to talk about Christine, one of the team members. I began to talk about Shirley, one of the team members. Three months later, he was married. I was his best man. Six months later, we were married. He was my best man. Anyway, before that happened, the next day, just had a couple of days before we went back home and I was very spiritual in those days, very, very spiritual guy. Oh Lord, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. I, I believe Shirley's the one for me and uh, um, I know that some of the team are going to the beach today but I'm going to go to her place and if she's home it'll be a sign that she's the one I'm to marry. I wouldn't do that today but uh, <laughs> I did it then. Um, well, drove round to her place and her family home was up how many steps? A hundred and something steps up on the side of the hill and uh, she was right down on the road washing her father's car. What a sign. <laughs> and so we chatted away and anyway the evening came. The moon was brilliantly bright and the stars were twinkling. We walked halfway up the steps and we sat down on the steps and I said to Shirley Shirley I believe you're the one I'm to marry guys don't do this 
But I went on, but I, I need to let you know that I will always love Jesus more than I love you. <laughs> Guys, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, it would drive most young women away. And then I went on all the things I felt God wanted to, me to do in my life and, and I didn't realise it. Surely was checking them off one by one. Yes, yes, yes. The same for her. But there's a truth in that. I will always love Jesus more than I love you. I, I had something at that time and I still have it, of course, that Jesus needs to be first. Jesus needs to be first. But surely you, you enjoy that, didn't you? You, uh, you went back to your dad and said, I found the man I'm going to marry. And he said, what say I don't agree? He, she said, I'm going to marry him anyway. But she wasn't being rebellious, she just knew, she just knew, she just knew. Jesus needs to be first. Verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Many of you will be aware that in January of 1956, five young American missionaries were martyred by the Alka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. And there's a movie called End of the Spear, which is really worth seeing. It's an excellent movie. It's um, presented in such a way that it's not all religious. Uh, you could take a non-Christian person to that movie and they would get the message. But uh, one of the men that was uh, martyred was a pilot who, who flew the, their aircraft in. His name was Nate Saint. And one of his sayings was this. People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we would waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Jesus needs to be first. Now, I want to say a few things now about a term that we use so often. I don't use it. It's the term unconditional love. The reason I don't use it is because I believe it's been misused not only by some Christians but by unbelievers or people who believe they're believers uh, to excuse the, their lifestyle. But what does the word unconditional mean? It simply means without conditions. Without conditions. Well, I can understand that God has unconditional love towards us. He doesn't say, if you pull your socks up, if you do better, then I will love you. No, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But in order to receive that love, there are conditions. There are conditions. Let me be a little facetious for a moment in order to hopefully get a truth across. I'm going to put on a religious voice, by the way, so don't be surprised. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Won't you please give your life to Jesus? He's so lonely without you. Oh, do Jesus a favour and give him your life. Pray this casual prayer after me so that you can go to heaven when you die. It seems to me that in the West we have so often watered down the gospel. There's so much compromise in the gospel message, not everywhere, but often is the case. There are conditions that must be fulfilled 
to partake of, to enjoy, to experience the love of God. Thank God for his love. Thank God for his love. We've been speaking about it this morning and I thought those first two songs are so appropriate, the love of God and the holiness of God. And I was saying, wow, that's what I want to speak into this morning. Not only is God love, but he is also holy and therefore separate from sin and he calls us to live a holy life. If we are to partake of this incredible love of God, there are conditions. And if we don't fulfil those conditions, then we cannot partake or fully partake of what God has for us. And five words come to my mind immediately when I think of this. The first word is repent. Change your mind. The second is to believe. speaks of surrendering fully. Another word we could fit in there is to be baptised, baptised in water. Uh, to follow, to obey. There are conditions. If we are to know God personally, if we are to walk with this holy God, to enjoy his great salvation, repent, believe, be baptised, follow, obey. So, Matthew 4.17. Jesus had uh, come out of that time of temptation. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptised in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, gone into a time of temptation, But from that time, Jesus began to preach. So now his public ministry was opening up and the first word we have recorded was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a word that we don't often want to to use today because we might offend people. But we do not fully preach the gospel unless we preach repentance. And it doesn't mean we even have to use that word. There's a way of explaining, particularly to children, for instance, a way of explaining the need of of changing one's mind and turning from this way to embrace God's way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Believe, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's not just a mental asset, that's... Yes, believing, understanding with our minds, but surrendering our lives to him. Uh, Mark 16, 15 and 16, when Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to his disciples, he first of all rebuked them because of their unbelief. But then he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptised shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Oh, I'm not being baptised in water, but I I love Jesus. Uh, If I were to die today, am I going to go to heaven? I believe that you will. But God wants us, if we have identified with him, to be baptised in water. And that baptism is a symbol or a sign of what has happened inside our lives. When I became a Christian with a Presbyterian background, uh, my new Baptist friend said to me, you need to be baptised in water, Graham. And the more they pressured me, the more I dug my toes in. No, I've been baptised. But that wasn't, infant baptism wasn't Bible baptism and, and, and babies can't believe. And, but they knew things that I didn't know. But then I went to a Baptist church one night and I saw for the first time people being baptised by immersion. And it spoke a thousand words to me. People were confessing Jesus to be Lord of their lives, uh, saying, I'm, I died to my own way. I've died to this present evil world. I've died to things that are important to me and I'm going to live for Jesus. And what do we do with dead people? We, we bury them. So down they would go, but then they didn't stay there. Up they came out of the water and praising God for the newness of life. 
oh, it spoke to me. And I went to the pastor after that meeting. I said, can you please baptise me now? But he wasn't willing to do it unless I could uh, attend a number of classes. So I found a place next Sunday night uh, where I could be baptised in water. Water baptism didn't save me, but I felt so good that I was fulfilling the words of Jesus to be baptised, to believe and be baptised. But then to follow, Matthew 16, 24-27, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. The Greek is to utterly deny and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, we don't really appreciate, I think, the impact of, of the, that word cross. But in Bible days, it was a symbol of shame. It was a symbol of death. I mean, the cross, being nailed to a cross. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross. A cross is an instrument of death. And we are to live a life of daily dying to self daily dying to this present evil world but living unto God and to the things of his kingdom. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then that verse where I Kirsten, are you here this morning? She's not here this morning. She shared last week about um, that silo that she would drive past many, many times in her growing up years uh, and had this verse on it. For what shall profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That was being sown into her life and to multitudes of people they would see that scripture again and again and again. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. So Jesus is coming again. He's coming to reward uh, good reward for those who have walked in obedience and uh, a bad reward for those who have gone and lived their own ways. And then that word obey. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles uh, had been in prison. The Lord had opened the doors for them. They were out sharing the good news again. And here they were now before the, the Jewish council and they were being reprimanded for doing that very thing. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a saviour to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord, uh, we are then to embrace a lifestyle of obedience. Romans 11 talks about the Israelis being like a, a fig tree, but branches had been broken off so the Gentiles could be grafted in. Verse 22 of Romans 11 says, Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who feel severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, Otherwise you also will be cut off. God expects us to walk in obedience to him. Many of you here are old enough to know the name Whitney Houston. Anyone know the name Whitney Houston? Okay. Uh, what, a, what a gift she, 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 you know, she was to the church really. Raised I think in a Baptist church, black church in America. 
um, sung as a young girl, and then of course her voice was just so incredible. She became this internationally known, famous uh, singer. Just a great voice. But then, February the 4th, 2012, she accidentally drowned in a bathtub, I believe, in the midst of vomit from what uh, some accounts say. And the, uh, the facts were heart disease and cocaine use as contributing factors. A tragedy. A tragedy. A tragedy. I happened to be home at the time, I wasn't travelling, and I was able to see the, the funeral service of Whitney Houston back in her home church. Did anyone see that service at all? You did? Amazing service, wasn't it? It was so Christ-centred. Uh, the challenge to give your life to Jesus. Uh, I was really inspired. It was just very, very God-honouring. And yet her life and her relationship with God was up and down, up and down, up and down because of the pull of the world, uh, the fame, the money, the monies to buy all the drugs that she wanted. Obviously she was addicted to cocaine. And What a tragedy. What a tragedy. It seems to me from standing way back here and only God knows her heart that she lost her life. The world came in and overwhelmed everything and yet there was this inward battle continually because she had a faith in God and she loved the Lord. And there's a YouTube clip you can see um, the night before she died and she didn't know that she'd be dead in a few hours in a nightclub and she and a friend were on stage, went up on stage and they're obviously a little bit under the weather and Whitney began to sing. And guess what she sang? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Many times I've been grateful over the years that, that we've not been in a place of preeminence. Uh, how would we be living as Christians if suddenly we had fame and fortune Money wasn't an issue. I mean, I wonder if there would be a pull upon us that could take us away from a close relationship with God. Only God knows whether she's with him today. I, I trust that she is. But we've, we're called to live a life of obedience and there are so many pressures, as even Connors referred, referred to today, that can pull us away, that want to pull us away. It's all around us in our hands you know, we can have a phone and we've got access to the internet and all sorts of stuff that we never had when we were growing up most of you were growing up that that temptation wasn't there a life that's separate unto God I have a, a copy of an article here that I read in the Charisma News we, we get the Charisma magazine and this is an article that the headlines caught me Alarming report. 80% of unmarried evangelical young adults are having sex. Alarming report. And this report comes out from, um, I went online to get the actual organisation that was um, putting out those reports. It's a teen pregnancy organisation. I've got it here as well. A national study in 2009 by the National Campaign to Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy, found that a huge majority of young evangelical adults have had premarital sex. Now, okay, 80%. Well, let's cut it down, 40%. <laughs> that seems very high. But just make it 40%. 40%? Is that a good statistic? 
in the light of God being holy and he's called us to a life of separation from sin. If those statistics are true, even if it's 40%, the world has come into the church. The world has come into the church. The world has come into the church and perhaps even into our own lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 to says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And this very article uh, goes on to talk about uh, the TV program, is it Batch? Batch, or it? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you may have seen it. I've not watched it. Um, but apparently, recently, there was a guy called Luke Parker and another person that was in this program, uh, Hannah Brown, uh, both are proclaiming to be Christians. And um, Luke said that he would not uh, be involved in um, premarital sex because he's a believer, but the girl was saying, um, I've done that and uh, Jesus still loves me. And it says that they are both king Christians. Well, king Christians in God's sight or king Christians in the sight of the world? Thank God for this man, not a perfect man I'm sure, but he took a stand, took a stand publicly before the nation. I'm not willing to go that way and um, if the pressure's on, I'm leaving this program. Thank God for people taking a stand like that. So let's consider some of the sayings of Jesus. Matthew 7. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, verse 13 to 14, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Two roads, the broad road, the narrow road. A wide gate, a narrow gate. One road, there are many people on it. The other road, few people are on it. And I believe that there are probably fewer people on that narrow road than we would realise at this time. I believe there will be many, many church people as well as non-church people who will not get to heaven because they've not been walking the narrow road. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Three verses that to me are three of the most uh, strongest verses in the Bible as far as I'm concerned um, that put a good healthy fear of God in our lives. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not just the language, you can have the right language, but what's happening in the heart. Many will say to me on that day, the day of accountability, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who are walking in rebellion, you who are doing your own thing. Now I've not struggled but wondered how to interpret these verses. These are people obviously moving into the dimension of power, Holy Spirit power to see these things happening. That word never, I never knew you, means not even at any time. That is never at all. Look up your strongest concordance. If you don't have one, you can download it on your computer for free. E-sword. And you can have this wonderful concordance right in your hands. Not even at any time. That is never at all. Never. Nothing. At any time. Well, I believe the key to this is the next few verses. Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus is speaking about people. He's speaking about people walking in obedience, people walking in disobedience to God. So my understanding of that passage in Matthew 7 is this. Jesus was, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. If you've got any insights, please let me know. Never at any time did I know you, could I agree with you, could I endorse what you were doing, could I identify with you while you were walking in rebellion. That's how I understand. But you may have some insights uh, that can expand my understanding. Never at any time did I know you, could I agree with you, could I endorse what you were doing, could I identify with you while you were walking in rebellion. So God's called us to embrace him as Lord and to choose to follow him with all of our hearts and to walk in obedience to him. I find it helpful uh, as in Matthew 13, 3 to 9 and 18 to 23 to understand the parable of the soil, the sower. Jesus wasn't just talking about the pathway or the thorny ground or the rocky ground and so on, but he was talking about conditions of the human heart. Uh, the sower went forth to sow and some seed fell on the roadside. And this can be likened to the hardened heart because a road, a pathway is trampled upon by many feet day after day after day and of course when seed falls upon it it's open to the birds of the air to come and snatch up that seed and it can't put down its root because the soil is, is hard. But then there's the rocky soil that speaks of the shallow heart. People receive the word with gladness, with joy, but things happen and quickly the seed's putting its roots down and it withers and dies. Then there's the thorny ground that can be likened to the cluttered heart. All sorts of things coming in, the anxieties and so on and so on and cares, and, and choke the word so it's unfruitful. Again, speaking of the human heart, but then there's the good soil that can be likened to the productive heart that will bring forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so as believers, if we say, I, I, I trust my heart as, as good soil, um, are we producing a good crop? With God's help, of course, God working in us. 
unless we understand that, we can be disillusioned sometimes. But he, she came to the Lord, they were so keen for the Lord, but then uh, they fell away. Well, what kind of soil was their heart represented, represented by? Now we are anxious for people to follow Jesus, and rightfully so. But Jesus made it hard for people to follow him. Think about it. Matthew 19, verse 16 to 26, speaking of the rich young ruler. And uh, he said, what must I do to, to gain eternal life? And Jesus listed a number of the commandments and he said, oh, I've kept all of these from my youth. Yeah? <laughs> Maybe he thought he did, but Jesus didn't rebuke him on that. But he said, one thing you lack, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus went right to the heart. This man had lands, he had uh, means, financial means, and that was really his idol, that was his God, and Jesus went right to the mark, put his finger on that. And when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. God has a way of just putting his finger on things, doesn't he? Right to our heart. The man who was a spiritual father to me, his name was Ken Wright, Ken and Shirley, and they just lived actually just a few houses from where my home was in Palmerston North, New Zealand. Um, Ken was a mechanic working for the forestry department, but then later went into full-time ministry and international ministry. Did a lot of work with Youth of the Mission. Um, Planted the church in my home city, which is still flourishing to this day. And we were very good friends, and his home... Uh, was open to a number of young people, or to all young people, but there were a number of us. We went every Friday night to a pre-meeting in his home, Ken and Shirley Wright. And uh, so wonderful just to have an open home where young people can come, feel welcome to come. But Ken was powerful. He began to move in what we know as words of knowledge, but he didn't know what they were. He just knew things as he was ministering to people. And a visiting preacher from England had to say, well, that's one of the spiritual gifts called the word of knowledge. And he was very, very cutting in that area. Man, God could speak to him. And he told me the story of being in a meeting in New Zealand where a lady got up in the midst of a public meeting in the midst of tears began to intercede for her father. And Ken graciously said, please, uh, this is not the place, this is not the time to be doing that. Can I just encourage you please just to settle down? She settled down. Not long afterwards, she got up again, distracting the meeting, the flow of the meeting, and began to intercede for her father. And Ken once again said, please, please, this is not the place, this is not the time, please sit down. She sat down. And then a third time, she got up and began to intercede. And uh, here's Ken listening to the Lord. And the Lord just gave him a key to put his finger on something in her heart. And he had, had to say to her publicly, you don't love your father, you hate him. And she had a word of rebuke for that woman and it was true. She just opened everything up. God deals with the heart. My home city, the Baptist church, I wasn't there in this meeting but it happened just not long before I became a Christian. There was a visiting preacher and people had come forward at the altar and he was praying for people and uh, there was a husband and wife together and he was praying for the wife and the husband could hear what he was saying and how he was praying and the husband was offended. and said, don't you speak to my wife like that. And this man that was in tune with the Lord turned to this man who gave that word of rebuke and said, you can't talk. You are living in adultery. 
revealed the sin of his heart. A stranger coming in, <coughs> God knew, put his finger on it, and for some reason, um, most of the people at the altar call felt led of the Lord to go back to the seats. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why. God's dealing with the issues of our heart, is he not? None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We, we, we all sin on occasion and we have to say, Lord, please forgive me. And the precious blood of Jesus cleanses us again and again. And the Lord helps us, helps us, helps us to walk in obedience. But something has to happen in our heart. When I became a Christian, I just knew, I just knew without anyone preaching at me, when I said, Jesus, take over my life, it had to be total, 100%. I just knew that. It was all or nothing. So when I pray that simple prayer, oh God, please forgive me all of my sins, Jesus, take over my life, it's yours. In a Youth for Christ meeting, I meant it with all of my heart. I was surrendering as best I knew how my life every part of my life, my future, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I've never had to be in a place where I've backslidden and had to come back to the Lord. Now, God sees the heart. Maybe I've backslidden 10 million times over the years. You know what I mean? Uh, God sees the issues of the heart. But I started following Jesus and I've continued to follow him. Shirley gave her life to Jesus as a four or five-year-old girl. She's never spent one day living in the world. Just intent. Uh, I'm following Jesus with all of her heart and she's just as vital today as when I met her all those years ago. (sighs) Counting the cost. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, pretty strong stuff. But we know that that word hate means to love less, to love less, to love less, to love less. And then he challenged the hearers about counting the cost. Uh, Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him and saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. When we come to Jesus, it's all or nothing, really. The old saying is, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We have to fully, fully surrender to him. Just some little sayings here and stories. We have a friend, um, dear, dear friend, that God is using so greatly. And when we get his newsletters, it's like reading the Acts of the Apostles. It's just absolutely amazing. He's in one of the most difficult countries in the world to preach the gospel. In fact, you can't do it publicly. Uh, You'd be beheaded or put in prison or whatever. And in recent months, he has been arrested 13 times and been interrogated by, by the police. And he's asked for prayer again and again and again. 
his team members. He has a hundred people under him now. He's raised up leaders and everything else. Just, just amazing planting churches in this country that I won't name because these tapes get onto the internet sometimes and I want to protect him. Um, on one occasion he got off a bus in the north of the country. The, the road forked. He got off the bus to go this way. The bus continued that way. As he walked out of the bus, the bus blew up. There was a suicide bomber on board and God just spared his life again. But every day he's counting the cost. He's counting the cost. He's counting the cost. Some of his workers have been put in prison and they've not been heard of again. Passports taken off. It's like they're not on planet Earth anymore. People who are paying a price to follow Jesus. And then I think about North America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, to be honest. I'm so grateful to be a Canadian citizen, even though I can't speak like one. (laughs) Um, But thank God for Canada and the freedoms that we enjoy. But oh, we have it so easy. Most of us are so easy compared to many others in other countries that really pay a price for their faith and even being imprisoned uh, and, and martyred because of their trust in Jesus. Another friend who lives in another country, similar situation. Um, I was with him the week that he went to the lawyer and gave away his, his apartment. He was pioneering in a nation, in Asia, that had no church. There may have been a handful of believers, but there was no established church in the country. And um, he was one of those pioneers that went in some years ago, not many years ago, maybe 40, and began to preach the gospel and... and um, God used them significantly, not in big, big ways, but just one-to-one, one-to-one, one-to-one. That's the kind of worker he is. But he felt a call to this country I've just talked about. No, sorry, the country nearby. And he had a nice apartment that God had given him. He believed God for monies to come and he could buy his own apartment. Nice apartment in that country. It was bigger than most apartments. But he went to the lawyer and he signed over his property to uh, native workers in that country he said I'm going to this new country now and he said I don't believe I'm, I think I'm probably going to die there and there's no point in me having an apartment and I, I tell you I look up to this guy, in fact he's been to our home we look up to this guy because he, he's a giant he's a spiritual giant He's paying a price to follow Jesus, but we're not paying. Probably you're not paying. But he's facing the reality of going to this difficult, difficult country and even laying down his life if that should be required of him. That's why he's given all his property away. My, I have a great respect for that man. Uh, Recently, I saw this on the news, a number of Christian men would not renounce their, their faith in Jesus and were about to be beheaded by ISIS. And there was one man who was not a Christian among them. And he was asked by these uh, ISIS members uh, what he believed, what was his um, identification. Like he could have said uh, something about Allah and, uh, or Muhammad and you're okay, you'll be safe. But what he said, he said, I believe the same as they do. In other words, as they were facing death, they're willing to die for their saviour. That's the kind of saviour I want to identify with. I, I believe the same as they do. And I'm sure as he said that, you know, his name, if not before, was then registered in heaven. 
He didn't pray the sinner's prayer as we would pray it, you know, but, but he identified with these men who trusted Jesus. I believe as they do, and he gave his life when he could have saved his life. Just concluding, five young missionaries, all around 30 years of age, martyred by the, uh, the Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. One man was called Jim Elliot. He was 29 years of age when he lost his life. And he wrote this saying. You've probably heard it many times. So powerful. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was willing to let go of his little life. He was willing to lay it down like a seed of wheat, to fall into the ground, to put down roots and bring fruit upward. And if you know the story, even after these men were martyred, some of their wives went in to live with those people and all the people became believers. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So conversely, I thought, how can I sort of say the opposite? And I was thinking about it yesterday. He is a fool who keeps his life to lose it forever. He is a fool who keeps his life to lose it forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. You said that if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We want to know your word, understand your word. We want to abide in your word. We want to allow you to work in our lives so we give you permission afresh today to have your way, to teach us, to lead us, that we would truly hold our lives lightly, that we would be willing to walk in obedience to you all the days of our lives. Thank you for your wonderful love. Thank you for your wonderful grace and your mercy. Lord, you gave your life for us and we in turn lay down our lives for you. Please take us and use us in this beautiful country to be the witnesses, to be the people that you want us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.